Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Spliff Podcast. I'm Bo Nellis. This is episode 22, and we're going to talk about decarboxylation. But first, stoner moments. Uh, so the last time that uh, we got together, last week, that is, I got distracted by my neighbor, but I had this whole story I was going to tell you and like this rule that I was going to say, and it's totally lost its pizzazz now. Um, but uh, if you've ever seen the movie Half-Baked, this reference won't be lost on you. Don't be a scavenger. Don't be a vulture. Don't... Uh, be someone who just smokes other people's weed all the time, especially who just smokes all of their weed. Uh, you know, I, I had this, I met this chick, like mostly the people that I surround myself with, they may not always have weed, but they're super cool when they do get smoked out. And I had met this chick, she was like a girlfriend of a friend, and she was like, Oh, I don't really smoke weed. And then, then like, you know, eight hours later, She's like, oh, I'll totally smoke that joint with you guys as we light up. And like it gets to her the first time and it hasn't gotten to everybody yet. And she's just sitting there hitting it, holding it, hitting it, holding it. And of course, I got on my circle referee thing and I was like, so you're going to pass that, you know, since other people who bought it haven't hit it yet. And she's like, oh, and then she like handed it over and she walked away from the circle and never even said fucking thank you. Don't be that chick. All right. Maybe there's still some pizzazz to it. Don't be that chick. Do not be that chick. Even if you're a dude, don't be that chick. It's really super easy to be someone who smokes weed. Just be as laid back and as cool as you can be. And you're fine. You're fine. Just play it cool. So another thing that I wanted to say was during the interview, because I was so nervous, I kind of missed something that Sue had said until I listened back to it. And I had mentioned that I wanted a massage with medicated oil. And she had mentioned that the medicated oil is actually great for the masseuse when they're using it. So if you are a masseuse, I know I have some, some masseuse friends Using a medicated cannabis salve or oil can also be really therapeutic for you, the one who's probably got a lot of joint issues and things like that, whether you're using it on your clientele or after a really long, hard day of working those knots out. I appreciate everything you guys do. I really, really do. Uh, but yeah, I just wanted to touch back on that because I wish I had spent a little bit more time on it. Uh, I want to follow up too and say that I have been taking the THCA regularly. I've been using the Rub Me Right uh, and putting it into capsules, uh, just warming up, warming it up in the microwave for like 15 seconds. Usually does it just perfect for me and it may not... Uh, liquefy the whole bottle but I don't always need the whole bottle sometimes I usually just want a little bit so it actually works even better for me that way but I put it in the capsule and then I take it and I really do think it has done amazing things for my joints overall and for my flexibility uh, I went on a nice hike and when I came back I was feeling a little sore so I took another capsule and the pain just dissipated it totally melted away and I didn't have any recovery pain afterwards uh, the next day or, or anything like that and I continued to take the THCA when I would go to yoga now I haven't been as active in my yoga this past week as I I was the following week uh, I had to take a little bit of a break being busy and stuff but 
I did get there this last Tuesday and I think it it helped a lot in just helping me kind of push through some things where normally I might have stopped. It's not to say that I had a pain-free yoga. Uh, If I had a pain-free yoga, I probably wasn't doing it right. So, but I definitely didn't have any recovery time with sore muscles the next day. And I was not as good on drinking my water as I should have been. So I was kind of expecting to be. And I think the THCA had a lot to do with that. Uh, One of the big differences I've noticed, though, is I take way more THCA for a therapeutic effect than I take of THC. I have been taking up to three capsules of the THCA, and I get the smaller capsules. I think they're the double zeros. I think the zeros are the bigger ones, and the double zeros are the smaller, but I might have that flipped. It's been a while since I've bought them. Um, But I have the smaller gelatin capsules that I fill up. And I take about three of those. Now, I'm not sure where that is on the teaspoon range. I haven't actually filled up a teaspoon and then used that to fill up my capsules. Maybe I'll try and do that for you so I can give you an idea. But it's been, it's been amazing. Oh, and I should say too that I only take one capsule for the THC rich ones, uh, which is the difference for me there. Uh, so I'm taking three capsules of THCA where I'm used to taking one capsule of THC, but I'm not high at all either. Uh, I even took one as a suppository just to try it out. I'm here to help you guys. And I have to say, I didn't feel high off of that either. I feel like I did have a little bit of energy. I took it kind of late at night and I felt a little energized, but I can't actually say it was attributed to the capsule at all. Um, I did start to feel some extra, some movement in my joints and in my neck. You know, I could, I got a couple of cracks out of it as I sat up a little bit taller and uh, didn't really have to do anything, but I just felt a little bit more lubricated in those tight spots. So if that's something you're looking for, if arthritis without feeling high is uh, an area for you, that you are thinking about medical marijuana, THCA might be a really great option. And I'm really, really excited to be able to start suggesting that to people because that wasn't something I was necessarily suggesting before. I've learned a lot in the time that I've had these bottles. And one of the things that I learned was that I don't like the body lotion on me, unfortunately. Uh, I think I think it's the licorice root. I'm not a licorice person. Uh, aniseed, the lotion would settle into my skin, and 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 I just didn't like it. So I've asked Sue to maybe make some other non-edible versions. Um, but I'm also really really excited to continue to give it away, and everybody else I've talked to that I've given it to is loving it. So uh, I mentioned one, a friend of a friend in particular, and I touched back in with her and she says that it's, it's definitely helping for her anxiety and she really likes the way that it smells. So uh, if you are thinking about maybe getting soothing soothes or have anxiety and want an option that isn't going to get you high, but might help you with some sleep, uh, the body lotion by soothing soothes could definitely be for you. And when she has some other 
smell options, hopefully for me. It really hasn't been that big of a deal. I've been using the tropical teas and the blueberry lemonade instead because I love the way those smell. And I've been using them a lot as a suntan lotion. So I'm really excited about that. Um, it's It seems to be working really well. Uh, I've got good color and it's nice and even. So I do like that. I do like that for sure. Uh, I'm not used to using coconut oil. Oh, that reminds me too, because I mentioned the time it would take for it to soak in and everything and that it kind of seemed like a blend or whatever. And I think I figured it out. I think it's just way better coconut oil than I'm used to using. So <laughs> I was like, oh, 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 you know what? I probably just have crappy coconut oil. And this is like that high quality stuff that I used to buy when I was just buying small jars. And now I buy big jars and Costco changed their thing. and So I have been using Soothing Soos way more often than anything else. I've been using it on my face. I've been using it all over my body. I've been using it inside of my body. I'm amazed by this THCA stuff. I can't even believe it. So what what the fuck is the difference between THCA and THC? Like, what is that? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Decarboxylation is the difference between THCA and THC. Well, at least it's the process that'll get you there. And, and I am a big fan of THC-rich lotions. I've always been a big fan of THC-rich lotions. I'm like, if you've seen the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, the father figure who is always spraying Windex on people and is like, just put some Windex on it. I'm like that with my weed lotion, with my THC-rich weed lotion. Like, you know, my boyfriend would get hives. I'm like, we could put some weed lotion on that. Or, you know, he gets sh sh sore shoulders. And I'm like, we could put some weed lotion on that. Are you sure you don't want to try some weed lotion? Somebody's ankle is sprained. Would you like some weed lotion? Oh, you have eczema? I could give you some weed lotion for that. That is me all the time. Uh, and being able to do that with THCA too is super fun. I love it. I love it. Oh, and then one other thing I wanted to get out of the way before we move on to decarboxylation. Get a little blonded real quick. Let's get blonded. Uh, weed maps. I was on there trying to look at menus, and they had a survey come up, and I wanted to thank them for that, for giving me the opportunity to voice my displeasure with their changes. I encourage you, if you are using weed maps, or if you just want to make sure that the most available option for patients out there, the one that is going to give people the most access, is actually holding true to patient care and patient standards and making sure that the test results are as reflective of real helpful information as possible, then I encourage you to also take their survey. And I just wanted to say that. All right, let's talk about decarboxylation. Before I do, I'm going to decarboxylize some of this weed in my pipe here really quick with my lighter. Well, with the hemp wick and the lighter that's in my hemp light. I'm still smoking that super dream. I'm obsessed with it. It's so good. It keeps me super chill. Sometimes too chill. But for the most part, I need to be chill. All right, just a little one. Just to freshen up my, uh, my mood to get ready for this. Decarboxylation. So, 
Decarboxylation is the process of removing a carboxyl group from the THCA molecule. THCA is a cannabinoid, and I have another podcast if you want to listen to that to check out what a cannabinoid is. I think it's called trichomes and cannabinoids. I don't remember the episode number. It's okay. I put a search bar on my website if you need it, and it's all listed in iTunes, and it's not on SoundCloud anymore, I don't think, but you can find it on other podcast apps if you need to. Uh, But THCA is an acidic form of the cannabinoid THC. So what that means is in an organic chemistry sense, the molecule has this extra group of molecules that are called a carboxyl group. And this is pretty common in plants. Now, this carboxyl group, if you aren't familiar with it, is made of two other groups of molecules. The primary one is a carbon and oxygen bond, and then the other is a hydroxyl bond, the OH negative molecule that is, I mean, I I don't know, I remember it from high school chemistry, and I don't remember much, so maybe you remember it too. So the CO is called a carbonyl group. And you have your hydroxyl group. They together make up your carboxyl group. And it's this little ending on a THC molecule that gives it an acidic structure uh, or some sort of acidity. I didn't go to organic chemistry. I'm lucky I passed college chemistry, to be frank. And that was because I had a really cool teacher who... Uh, actually kind of let me slide a little bit more than I should have because I was embroiled with this battle with this hospital that I worked at at the time. They're trying to fire me over some medical cannabis use that I had to testify about. Anyway, he also had this battle and he was like, you know what? You're cool. I like you. I think I'll give you a B. And I was like, I will take that B. I will take the shit out of that B. So I remember some things, but I'm going to be honest. Organic chemistry, not my thing. But I feel comfortable enough with the information that I'm telling you. So it's just to help you understand where it's at. Anyway, going back to it. Your THC molecule has this little tail on it we're going to call the carboxyl group. And in order to turn that cannabinoid into a key that will let you through the looking glass... You need to get rid of that tail. Now, the tail will naturally fall off uh, on the plant when it's exposed to oxygen and time and gentle heat. But we can speed up that process by heating it up a lot hotter, a lot faster, which is what you do when you take your lighter to your bowl and spark it up. You are using that heat to remove the carboxyl group from the rest of the molecule so that you can have just THC. So you're taking tetrahydrocannabinolic acid, a biosynthetic precursor to THC, as the organic chemist would like to say, and you are making that into tetrahydrocannabinol. You're just removing a little bit, taking off that tail. Now, when you do that, you also remove a little bit of molecular weight from it, which, since I didn't have it correctly in the last podcast, I want to say is 0.877 milligrams, if I got that right. Ah, crap, I should have looked it up again. Anyway, that is important because when you are converting THCA into THC and looking at a test result in order to get your best guesstimate, 
if you just because it says you have 23% THCA doesn't mean you're going to get 23% THC. You're going to get 23% times the 0.877 and and that'll be the amount that you're going to get. So that's an important thing to remember when you move into edibles and and how you're going to actually dose yourself uh, if you are just smoking or vaporizing and you really need to dial it in because you need a very regular medication, a very consistent dose and medication. Now it's not just THC and THCA that have this carboxyl group. All of the biosynthetic precursors to the more popular cannabinoids are going to have this acidic group to it too as well. That means that CBD starts as CBDA and CBG starts out as CBGA and CBC starts out as CBCA. THCV starts out as THCVA. Again, it all starts to sound like alphabet soup when you just start listening to the, the groups being called off. But this is what makes the cannabinoid number so hard to pin down are these little molecular differences and the way that they synthesize. We're really starting to really narrow in on the synthetic process of the many cannabinoids, beginning with CBCA. Now, a lot of the literature and things like that will really just reference CBC, so it can become a little confusing, but one of the more popular ways uh, and consistent ways that people refer to the acidic forms is as the inactive forms, whereas the decarboxylated molecules are actually the activated forms. And that's a a term that you're going to hear thrown back and forth a lot. Now, that activation really refers more to its ability to cross the blood-brain barrier, to activate receptor sites, and to open doors that it can't with that carboxyl group attached. Similarly, with the carboxyl group, you will open doors and agitate receptor sites that you wouldn't without the carboxyl group, and that's still pretty new territory for us. So a lot of the science and even the anecdotal evidence is going to focus more on uh, the, the activated cannabinoids, CBD, THC, CBG, uh, THCV, which we still know very little about, but which we know more about than THCVA. So... There have been some things that people are starting to to really begin to play with, uh, but the scientists are still behind the anecdotal evidence. I've given you some anecdotal evidence about THCA, its uh, pain relieving abilities for certain muscle type of pain, as well as joint pain, uh, topically it doesn't seem to do as much in smaller concentrations, but in larger concentrations, it seems to have significant pain-relieving properties for myself. Uh, furthermore, I know I've heard of people using THCA in key form, encapsulated uh, specifically, as a way of treating IBS and Crohn's disease. That goes back to things that Sue said about people using her lotion uh, as an edible to treat certain digestive problems. So I kind of forgot about that until she mentioned it. And 
there had been a dispensary that I had heard one guy was using encapsulated keef as a way of getting the THC into his intestines to battle his IBS. And that could be one way to do it for somebody else. Certainly there might be more effective ways to do it, but that might be the way to get the most concentrated THCA into the area that it is needed most. And there might be something about its anti-inflammatory properties and specific anti-inflammatory properties. I think we're going to learn a lot about different types of inflammation as we learn how to target cannabinoids to particular types of inflammation. And I don't mean we as the medical community. I mean, like we as in me, honestly. Uh, I'm sure they know plenty of differences about inflammation out there. Uh, but how to target it with cannabinoids is something new, and that's the way that I'm learning it. So maybe I'm learning it backwards. I'm okay with that. I'm doing it the fun way as far as I'm concerned. And I kind of go things around. I started where I shouldn't. I start way ahead of where I should probably. I'm okay. It's working out for me so far. But all of these are ways that you can utilize it. And because THCA can't pass through that blood-brain barrier because that carboxyl group keeps it from doing so. Uh, a lot of times if you're trying to make edibles and you didn't decarboxylate your material first, you're eating it with THCA and that's why you didn't get high. THCA is the form of THC in its natural state on the plant. It's a crystalline structure, which is why you get these crystals or trichomes on your plant. And when you extract it, why you get a shatter because it retains that crystalline structure throughout the purging process if you don't overheat your product. Now, if you do overheat your product, you end up with THC instead of THCA. And that'll give you a, an oilier consistency. THC has a sappier consistency to its molecular structure, which is why concentrates like Rick Simpson oil, RSO, or Phoenix Tears are, are going to be oilier in consistency. They also tend to have more chlorophyll and flavonoids because they have the leaf material to it instead of stripping those trichomes off the plant. Now, this is all part and process of what cannabinoids do naturally. Decarboxylation is something that they go through on a regular basis, depending on where they're supposed to uh, develop as they go along. They all start from CBC and they can become all kinds of different things we're finding out. And I don't want to go into it too much because I'm sure the information will change a lot, but I'm going to stick to the big ones. We're going to stick to CBD and THC. And what happens is THCA is going to be what's on the flower. CBDA is what's going to be on the flower. And when you're looking at test results, that's really what those numbers should reflect. If it is an older plant that has been curing for a while, or maybe the the person who was growing it, maybe they were going to keep it for themselves, and then you know their new harvest was coming up so they figured that they would sell it off but it's been sitting there for a while well all of those things are going to lead to the natural decarboxylation of the plant and whereas the plant if it had been tested when it was fresh may have shown up as i don't know 19% THCA when you go to test that plant 6 months later 
you might show that that plant only has uh, maybe 16% THCA and 2.3% THC, something like that. I probably did that math wrong, but you're going to lose something because as that THCA converts into THC, you lose some of that molecular weight we were talking about, and that's going to show up in your test results as well as it can given the inconsistency of test results. Uh, but that's one one step that's really important for weed maps specifically to get right, because if you are going to buy some flour and then you want to decarboxylate it to make an edible, if you start out with a large amount of THC, that THC doesn't stay THC. It starts to become CBN, a different cannabinoid. It degrades into something different. And while CBN might have its own pain relieving or medicinal properties, it's not going to do what you wanted it to do because it's not THC. In order to get THC out of the decarboxylation process, you have to start with THCA. And that's why it's really important to know the difference. And it really does go beyond just getting high too. I want to make sure to clarify um, where CBD gets a lot of exposure as being an anti-seizure uh, aid for, for children specifically, THC and THCA can do amazing things for children with seizures, uh, for people with inflammation, uh, for anybody who needs that pain relief without a head change. And personally, I think that seizures are probably pretty painful and not all seizures and, and forms of epilepsy are similar. So thinking that CBD will treat them all is just asinine. Just want to make sure that we get that out of the way. Now, I wish that I could tell you a little bit more about the benefits of CBDA, but because I don't have access to any of the, uh, the cold presses that you need to do in order to get a CBDA uh, infusion, I can't, I, I just don't have that much experience to tell you about. And I don't know enough of any anecdotal things either to really be able to trust anything I might find on the internet. If you have experience with CBDA specifically, I would love to know more about it. In the meantime, I can speak a little bit about CBD, but uh, I think I've done that on the other podcast for CBD, and I'm sure I'll talk about it more. I want to keep going with the decarboxylation though. One of the things that uh, you can find decarboxylation in as well are those clear concentrates. Any concentrate that is very oily in texture is going to be activated. Activated again means decarboxylated. Now, if you come across a BHO that is oily, that is also decarboxylated, and it's not supposed to be. They don't usually say that BHOs are activated. Uh, when you are meant to vaporize things, they tend to keep them inactivated or in its acidic form because when you heat it up on your vaporizing tool, you decarboxylate it then. And it goes back to that same issue of if you are applying THC to a hot nail, then aren't you really getting CBN out of it? Aren't you further degrading it? And that's my issue with things like clear concentrates and oilier uh, vaporizing materials that are they're really really sappy I just don't enjoy the high it doesn't feel like THC to me in the end when I vaporize it um, but 
it's really important for people who want to make edibles that their concentrates or their material is decarboxylated. Well, if you want any of the psychoactive effects, that is, and a lot of times some of the pain relieving effects that you wouldn't be getting if you tried and it was bunk and it didn't do anything for you, chances are you were looking for the THC. So in order to decarb your material, I'm going to focus on flour and the concentrates uh, that are hash and keef. When it comes to decarboxylating concentrates that are normally meant for vaporizing, that's a little bit different. My straight out suggestion is to get something that is already activated through a CO2 process, like the clear concentrates, um, especially because they will have some terpenes added into them that will give you something closer to the effects that you can really target your medicine when you make it in the end. Uh, you just have to be really careful that your emulsion process into the oil or candies or whatever you're making uh, continues to be agitated because it takes a really long time for cannabis concentrates to fully emulsify into uh, your solution. So just make sure you give it that time and that you use agitation as a way to maintain the consistency throughout your final product. If you're using it for tinctures or if it's going to be sitting for a while or if you're adding it to a larger recipe, like if you're going to take your butter and put it into brownies, making sure that you get a really good uh, mix with that. And I mean, brownies are pretty easy, I think, but I don't know. I love baking. Not everybody loves baking. Make sure it gets a really good even mixed to it. Now, there are lots of things that you can make your edibles with. Um, and when it comes to decarboxylating your material and making edibles, there are so many options out there. I prefer my coconut oil and my capsules. I don't like to make brownies. I don't like the extra calories when I use the medicine on a fairly regular basis. You might be a different way. Maybe you're just uh, making them for a party or maybe you can eat a brownie a day. Maybe you need to eat a brownie a day. Maybe you need to gain the weight. So that's a great option for you. I'm a little jealous, but not really. I understand everybody's pain is different. So I suggest that you go to Bad Kitty Smiles recipe and I will make sure to have the link uh, on the blog. I've put it up before and I know I've talked about her before. Uh, her website is Bad Cat Canna Farm, and cats is with a K, canna farm is with a C, and farm is with a PH as in pharmacy. Bad Kitty Smiles has all over the internet uh, in multiple marijuana forums, both recreationally and medicinally. And I just want to give another shout out to her for being so amazing and and open with the information that she has gathered from scientists and doing studies and growing on her own and her own anecdotal evidence. And she suffers from a lot of chronic pain. So she makes medicine that is way more concentrated than anything I ever am going to be using on a regular basis. Her, her, uh, tolerance is significantly higher than mine. Uh, you know, it would probably be the same way if it was a pharmaceutical drug when you have high amounts of pain, you need more drugs. So that's just the way it works. And the wonderful thing is because she has such high concentrations and she can teach you how to do that 
When you need to make them less potent, all you do is add more cutting agent, more coconut oil, or more clarified butter, or more glycerin. She teaches you how to uh, make tinctures, and both for uh, eating and for vaporizing, uh, which I haven't done. That's it's just more of a process than I want to handle personally. I think I tried to infuse glycerin once, and I just didn't have the patience for it. Uh, but the coconut oil caps are really easy, and I really enjoy them. And if you are interested in making your own psychoactive uh, or activated edibles, you definitely want to check out this recipe that I'm going to hook you up with. And the wonderful thing, too, is that the recipe, they're they're especially for the decarboxylation, I should say, is just kind of a starting point. Uh, we just don't know enough about the specifics of decarboxylating all of the acidic forms of all of the cannabinoids under all of the varying conditions in order to tell you it has to be done like this. I will say that no matter if you are going to add your own coconut oil in or if you're using one of those uh, butter machines that helps you make it decarbing your material beforehand, the way that Bad Kitty Smiles suggests you do it is the way to go about it. And when you decarb, whether you finely grind, whether you loosely grind, whether it's hash, no matter what, you have to get a really good seal over your medicine. If you can smell your weed, and this is what Bad Kitty Smiles will say in some of her uh, postings, if you can smell your weed, you can smell your medicine, and you're letting it escape, whether that be just the terpenes or whether that be because the cannabinoids have actually vaporized and that's what you're smelling, that's all your medicine. It's all the same as far as I'm concerned. And I definitely get better medicine when I can't smell it as I'm making it. Um, but the times and the temperatures are going to vary based on the material that you're using. If I'm using hash, it's going to be a little different than if I'm using flour. And if I'm using fresh flour, that's going to be different than if I'm using flour that I've had in my closet for four months. And I'm going to keep it in my closet because I was storing it in a nice, cool, dark place is going to shorten the natural decarboxylation because I'm not exposing it over and over to heat from the sun or oxygen all the time. But it's still going to have a natural release of that carboxyl group. It's just what the plant does. So no matter what, that material I pull out of my closet four months later is going to have a little THC in it, and it probably won't have to be decarboxylated for quite as long as something that's a little bit fresher. So I want you to feel comfortable that this is something you can play with, that uh, if you follow some of these basic things, which is mostly cover up your material really well the entire time it's going to be hot until it's completely cooled before you open it back up again, you should really be able to have an effective medicine no matter what. Now, if you are using uh, a vaporizer, you can actually save the material that doesn't become incinerated into ash and use that to make your edibles because it's already decarboxylated. When we smoke a pipe or vaporize material, we decarboxylate it in that process. And there's no way to really maximize 
the THC return and to make sure that you get everything out of it. So there's always some of that cannabinoid material still available in that leftover flower. That leftover flower being ABV or already been vaped. This is an especially awesome trick if you happen to be on a budget, already vaporize, and want to play with edibles or tinctures or something, anything. Uh, don't throw that material out. Save it and make topicals for fuck's sake. I do that a lot too. Uh, the coconut oil that I make can be used for all kinds of stuff. And as we safety, I'm going to go over my fresh batch that I just made last night. Yay, safety meeting. I want to smoke some more weed anyway. I was super ready. Uh, so if you follow me on the Instagrams or on Facebook and Twitter, and maybe you have seen my Instagram feed post there, I did post a couple of pictures of the start of the process that I had for making the coconut oil capsules that I lifted off of Bad Kitty Smile's recipe. Thank you so much. And I just want to give you some tips and pointers for what I've learned from my own play. I mean, when I first started, I was measuring everything. I was keeping track of what the strains were, what the effects I was feeling, uh, what my estimated dose was per capsule based on my return, all kinds of stuff. I think I ended up doing that for like two months. And then I was like, this is way more work. I don't, do I look like a Virgo? Because I'm not. And, uh... I love my Virgos. And uh, and so I just don't do that anymore. I kind of eyeball it. I got really used to after like 20 batches of what I expected to get out of it. And so you'll probably get there too. Don't feel like it's going to be a perfect recipe every time because you could repeat it perfectly. And simply because you started with different material at a different time, it's just going to be different. It could be from the same harvest. If it's different times, it's going to be different. And those are the things that you'll account for, hopefully, with some of the tips that Bad Kitty Smiles and I give you. And uh, as you come to just learn with experience. So I've already given you the biggest tip, which is cover it completely. If you think that it might not, that the foil might not have fit super tightly or that you might have a hole, just cover it again by the really big thing of tin foil. I recycle a crap ton of tin foil making these things sometimes. And it's just one of those things I've had to deal with. You can't use enough tin foil. All right. I, I don't wrap Christmas presents really anymore because I don't really celebrate. Um, big old fat atheist. Hey. And um, I kind of get my present wrapping like high out of uh out of doing it this way like I like to get it really nice and neat and and all bundled up on the sides and make sure that it's legit when you do it so that you can monitor for any holes and it's, there have been so many times that I'm like I think I got it I think it's cool I think that was fine and then I put it in and then 20 minutes later I can smell the weed and I know I didn't get it sometimes it's not until I open it at the very end and it'll just be the inside of my oven that smells like weed and that was a hold or that was not a tight seal and that means that I lost some of it so I've kind of started just 
second wrapping it automatically now, putting that second wrap of aluminum foil on there. Just be careful that you don't puncture anything. <laughs> so yesterday, actually, I was folding over one side and right as I finished it, my thumb just popped down into the top and put a little hole in there. I had to do the whole thing over again. <sighs> oh, well. Uh, another thing is a lot of people will take their grind into a coffee grinder and do it super fine. That's great if you don't plan on straining your material. I like to strain my material out. I don't like the flavonoids. I don't like the leaf material. And I don't like the really weedy burps that I get out of it. And I get very weedy burps out of it. I don't get weedy burps usually out of my coconut oil. Maybe if I've had some indigestion, I might end up with a weedy burp. I'm not going to say that I've never had a weedy burp out of it. But with the coconut oil, it's much less exaggerated. So I just use a really loose grind that actually makes it a lot easier to strain out. And because I'm working with flour, I've gotten a larger, wider Pyrex dish uh, that was as slim as I could get it, uh, as far as, well, I guess short as I could get it since it's the height on it. Uh, and yeah, I think it works great. Uh, it's probably about an inch tall. And if I could get something smaller, I would end up slopping oil all over the place, which is what I do. So the one inch height works really, really well for me. And then if I want a lot of material, I just use a bigger dish, but still at that one inch height. And Bad Kitty Smiles is the one who suggests that because you want the surface temperature to be as even to the temperature against the glass or the bottom uh, of whatever pan that you're using uh, in order to get a more consistent decarboxylation for all of your material. So whether or not you plan to just encapsulate all of it or whether you're going to strain it out an even decarboxylation with an an even heat on both sides is definitely something you want to strive for in this you don't want to burn the bottom and then not activate the top you just end up with a really weird high that way uh, when it comes to actually straining cheesecloth can be great uh, having a dedicated uh Cheesecloth that isn't disposable, though, can be really great, too, because if you have medicated oil, coating that cheesecloth in oil time and time again uses a lot of oil and it wastes a lot of it. And if you can just continue to, to use the same one, have a dedicated one, maybe sometimes I have to have one for indica, sativa, and CBD because I don't like mixing those. And uh, maybe that's something you want to think about straight out the gate. And then, uh, yeah, I think that's really it. After I strain it, I either put it in capsules or I put it in mason jars and I use it as topical or uh, I give it to friends to so they could use it however they want or I mix it with other lotions. Uh, that's a good way to cut down on the smell of any weedy coconut oil is mix it with a really super perfumey lotion. And sometimes the lotion that didn't smell so great when you mix it with weed lotion can actually smell really, really nice. Uh, I, I've definitely made some lotions that I was not going to be using into lotions that I really loved because that weedy herbaliness brings a balance to the perfumery that is in some of these lotions. Now, if you want the acidic form 
You could skip the decarboxylation process entirely uh, because you take a, you do the decarboxylation and then you add the oil and emulsify it. Then I freeze it again per Bad Kitty Smiles and then I bake it again and then I strain it. Uh, so you actually just remove all of those heat processes from it and allow it to naturally emulsify with its acidic forms. Now, if you have concentrates and want to have THCA, you don't have to worry about decarboxylating it at all. And you want to make sure that you don't get those activated products like the clear concentrates or the RSOs or a lot of the very much uh, activated CO2 options that are available to you. You want something that's more like a BHO. Probably not a BHO, though, more likely you'll want an ethyl alcohol solution that might not have as many terpenes to it um, and might be a little bioavailable, but won't be as bioavailable as something that's been burning off for a really long time. Uh, but to me, the BHOs, the pentanes, the hexanes, those are your best bets. Or if you can, just get some soothing soothes because I don't know how she does it and I don't even want to have to worry about doing that. And I'm super excited that I finally know how to use it. I really, really like it, you guys. Anyway, you guys, I think that's going to be it for me today. I hope you understand decarboxylation a little bit more. I know I use it a lot when I discuss things. It's because it's such an important part of so many processes and uh, especially edibles. So if you want to make your own edibles, decarboxylation is a train that you have to get on. If you have any more questions, you know, you can always call me at 209-86-SPLIFF. That's 209-867-7543. Like I said, you can find me on the Facebooks, the Twitters, the Instagrams at Spliff Podcast or the Spliff Podcast at gmail.com. You can discover the podcast anywhere you find podcasts if you are listening on a platform you are not familiar with. And if you like the material that I've been giving to you and you're like, you know what, that Bochek is super sweet and she's doing all this for free. I wish I could help her out. Well, you know, you totally can actually. I have a Patreon set up and if you wanted to make a donation, you could do it that way. If you want to get a hold of me because that's not your jam and maybe you want to help me out some other way, you can get a hold of me at the spliffpodcast at gmail.com or give me a call. Do something, uh, you know. I'm happy to do it the way that I'm doing it, but eventually I'm going to have to renew my web hosting and it would be nice to have a little bit of something to back that up with. Just saying, uh, everything you guys do, just listening, helps me a lot. It makes me feel really awesome when I watch my my count go up. I passed 420 uh, listeners. That was super fun. I was able to take a picture. I caught it. Yes. Uh, I really enjoy doing this. But I ain't too proud to beg either. So patreon.com, the Spliff Podcast, uh, that's the way you find it. All right, you guys, you'll find all the links of some of the things that I use to help me explain decarboxylation and renew my memory on the website, thespliffpodcast.com slash podcast. This is episode 22. I love you guys so much. Thank you so much for this. I'll see you next week. But ciao for now.